We are in a series called Relationships, and the idea is that you were created to relate. You were created to have relationships. And so uh, those, there's two different kinds that we talked about that we set the whole series up with last week, and that's you were created to have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. As a matter of fact, you were created in His image. And so uh, when God created uh, a man, God created all, all the things on the earth, and I don't know how that all took place and how exactly long that all took. Uh, it's above my pay grade. However, uh, I do know that he created all these things. And so when he got to man, he, he, with each thing, he said he created it and it was good. And when he got to humanity, he said it was very good. And then he said these statements, it is not good for man to be alone or women for that matter, or anybody to be alone. And the scripture is, all, is filled with all sorts of different uh, scriptures that talk about what it means to be a friend, what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a child, what it means to be a son, what it means to be in community, what it means to be the gathering, which is just the Greek word uh, for that is ekklesia, which we translate church. And in other words, what we're doing right now is church. It's the gathering. We're gathering together. That's why we say every week, it's better when you're here. Why? Because it's better when you're here. It's better when we're gathering. It's better when we're not sitting alone. That we're together. That's why we call church a family. And there are some churches uh, in California, or I'm sorry, in the United States, at least it was just looking at an article in CNN, there are some church families that are 45,000 people. <laughs> Can you believe that? Wow, I mean, we're just under that. I, I, <laughs> my goal, it's my goal, but we're just, we just got a couple <clears throat> more tens of thousands to go. But I'm, I'm very, uh, very hopeful that it'll happen. But it's, it's better when you're here. It's better when we're in relationship. This is what we were created for. We were created to relate. And so what we talked about in, in last week was this idea that our relationships go best when our relationship with our Heavenly Father is best. And here's what we said. We said our relationships change as we change. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. As you grow up, as you mature, as you begin to deal with your issues, you probably find that the relationships around you get better, even when those people don't change. Maybe you have more patience. Maybe you have uh, more grace and mercy. Maybe as you get connected with your Heavenly Father and you receive His love, and you understand His love, that His love is unconditional, you begin to be able to Transmit that to the relationships around you with unconditional love. As you receive the forgiveness of your heavenly father, knowing your thought patterns and knowing your actions and knowing what your past has been, you receive that forgiveness. And as the more you sense that forgiveness, you're able to infuse that forgiveness to those who are around you. As your relationship with your heavenly father changes, you change and your relationships change as you change, and that's what we talked about. If you find in your life that all your relationships end up in shambles, I might know who the culprit is. <laughs> if there's a common denominator that you're just, all your relationships, I don't know what it is. They all end in arguments. Eh, 
Maybe you need to spend some more time with your Heavenly Father to see what does He want to change in you. And maybe that'll change your relationships. And so that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to be talking about a theological concept called incarnational ministry. Okay, so uh, you don't need to go to seminary and pay tens of thousands of dollars uh, to learn what that means. It just means that Jesus came down in the form of a man. That's incarnation. It's the incarnation of God. God became human. Now, as I've been thinking about this this week and over the past weeks, as I I kind of knew where we were going to go with these relationship series, it just is mind-boggling to me that God, the God of the universe, would choose to become human. If I were God, and I usually start most of my Mondays with this statement, if I were God, I would change my whole, no. If I were God, I would have handled it a little bit differently, I think. Maybe a billboard campaign, maybe something on television. I don't know, but I would have done something different. When I was a little boy, I got this, um, I was fascinated with biology, and I wanted an ant farm. I don't know if you've ever had an ant farm, but it's basically two sheets of plastic that come up with sand in it, and then it comes with some ants. Mine arrived uh, deceased, God rest their souls, uh, but they're supposed to come in a little packet with food inside, and the ants are supposed to be alive, and uh, so we had to find some other ants, and where are you going to find ants? Who knows? But I got some other ants, and I got them in there, and then they'd tunnel through and you could see the tunnels and you'd watch these ants doing ant stuff and so you'd put food in there like a little bit of food and they'd they'd all find it and they'd they'd carry it along this is how ants work by the way that's his uh you can see it on the nature channel it goes like that so they 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 take their food and they go down and and they they have the queen down there and all, all this kind of stuff and i was fascinated by this ant farm Well, if I were God, that's how I'd do it. I would create you guys, and then I'd just sit up on whatever it is, a throne or something, and I'd watch you guys uh, tear each other apart or, you know, eat food, and I'd be like, aren't they fascinating? Look at those. Look at them. They're just so fascinating. Wow, they really voted that way. Wow, interesting. Uh, And so, you know, you're just kind of learning about your ants and all this kind of these things and what, what your ants are creating and everything. I never once, ever, ever thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool to become an ant and go into that ant farm? (laughs) Never. Why? Because I didn't love the ants, okay? As a matter of fact, I think at the end of the day, I just ended up tossing the whole thing in the trash, okay? Please do not do that, Lord. We've been good as best as we can. (laughs) God decides to come in the form of man incarnational ministry. He decided to become present. Now again, this boggles my mind because, okay, if you're going to become an ant, if I decided to become the ant, I would at least be the queen and be served by the other ants. Or I'd do something to where I wasn't just a normal, everyday ant. John, the book of John, which was written by one of the disciples, John, uh, He starts out uh, his book, his letter, if you will, and he says, In the beginning was the Word. 
capital W. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's setting this thing up about this Jesus that I'm going to be writing my next 20-something chapters, 18 chapters on, is, 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 was God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so he writes about this for a few verses and he talks about John the Baptist and all these things. And then he makes this incredible statement in John chapter 1 verse 14. He says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This word dwelling in the Greek means to set up camp. He set up a tent among the campers. He came. Uh, uh, other, other places use it as a tabernacle, which is essentially a, a tent. It's just this living space that this is what he did. He made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Now he's talking about, he's, he's seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Now listen to this, because this is going to be so important as we move on to what does this have to do with our relationships. Full of grace and truth. And this is one of the difficulties we are going to end up in every single one of our relationships. When do you dispense grace and when do you dispense truth? Some of us are really good at grace. We are human doormats. We just, oh, they didn't understand. They didn't go, oh, you know what? It's not their fault. It's probably their childhood. Go and some of us are really good at truth. I just speak my mind. I don't care how it falls on anyone. I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel. Praise God <laughs> that Jesus, who knows all truth, all truth, didn't walk around Jerusalem, didn't walk around Samaria, didn't walk around all the towns and villages just spitting truth about everybody. Oh, I know you. Remember last night? Two o'clock in the morning. I know exactly where, you know, aren't you glad that there was some grace in that? Jesus was the master at having this grace and truth. Why? Because of his incarnational ministry. He was around people. He understood what it was like to be human. He understood what it was like to get angry. He understood what it was like to be hungry. He understood what it was like to be frustrated. He understood what it was like to love deeply. He understood what it was like to experience great loss. He understood what it was like to be betrayed. And yet Jesus was full of grace and truth. It's interesting to me that John is writing this after Jesus has left. So, so John has seen Jesus' entire ministry, and this is his conclusion, that the God of the universe, the word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And you know what John saw with his own eyes? Was a man filled with grace and truth that dwelt among flawed humanity. And I believe God calls us to do the exact same thing in all of our relationships. Balance or manage this tension between grace and truth. The truth is, I was wounded. Am I going to show grace? And vice versa. 
So what I wanted to do is read this other thing in Philippians that drives this point home. And then we're going to see an example of Jesus that I hope will ring in your minds as you go into the workplace on Monday, as you go into your homes uh, after church, as you go into restaurants, as you go into your communities of how do we deal with people? How do we take Jesus' example of incarnational ministry, dwelling among the flawed, and how do we internalize that to impact the relationships around us? I just want you to see how much Jesus gave up to be one of these ants, (laughs) if you will. He says, in your relationships with one another, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he sets this up that this is what, this is the Apostle Paul writing to this church in Philippi. He's trying to tell this church, this is how you act towards one another. If you're going to be together, if you're going to be part of the gathering, if you're going to be part of a family, if you're going to be part of a business, if you're going to be part of anything, this is how in your relationships with one another, you have the same mindset as Jesus. Who... Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The New American Standard says, not something to be grasped or held on to. In other words, Jesus was really important. (laughs) Okay? He was in a position of importance, and he decided to set it aside. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So let me get this straight. I got my ant farm, okay, and I decide I'm going to go and become an ant. And so I become an ant, except I have all the powers of being a giant human that can squash ants. And so I go down, I get with the ants, and I'm like, hey, that's a pretty nice tunnel you built. You know, you know, why don't you follow me this way? And they're like, we're not following you. You're just an ant, just like us. And I'm like, I, I will squish you. You have no idea. I got, I could, in two seconds, I can get a magnifying glass here. <laughs> I swear to you, you don't even want to know, Okay. I did it when I was five years old. Trust me. I, now you're in big trouble. Right? And then the ants revolt against me and kill me. Th- this is, this is Jesus' model of incarnational ministry. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus do that? As an example to us to treat each other. Jesus came in the form of man as a sacrifice for our sins, as a spotless lamb. We sang about it here. His blood was the atonement of our sins. But it wasn't just that. He could have done that without growing up to be 33 years old. He he could have done that some other way. His 33 years on this planet was an example for us That when Jesus says, follow me, what he's saying is, I want you to become me in your family. I want you to represent me at work. I want you to represent me on the freeway. We'll leave the freeway aside for right now. But I want want you to represent me in every aspect of your life. 
And he shows us how. And so I just wanted you to get that concept that, that God's, it was God who's supremely important, supremely busy, supremely has the highest authority of anything. And yet even God humbles himself to take the form of a man, probably smelly. I don't think they had, what is it? Uh, What is that? Uh, Yeah. What is it? Yeah. No, it's deodorant, but I just can't remember which one it is. Old Spice. That's it. Thank you. Just handling the tough issues of the world today at Living Spring. Old Spice. Sorry about that for everybody who was listening. Uh, So here's what I want you to see, because... We're going to look at a section of scripture in Mark, chapter 5. It actually starts in chapter 4. All four of these stories are supposed to be read together. Now, oftentimes when we read the Bible, we see the Bible as some chronological, historical thing that on this day Jesus did this, and on this day Jesus did that, and sometimes it works out that way. Other times, God inspires the writers of the New Testament to present the word of God in certain segments to, so you can get the idea. And in this particular case, there's four stories that should be read together. The first one starts out with Jesus telling his disciples to get in a boat. We're going to go. There's, Jesus' ministry is on fire right now. So he, he's, he's doing great. Everybody loves Jesus. They want to hear from Jesus. They want to see Jesus. They want to touch Jesus. They want to get fed by Jesus. It's, it's just they're in a great spot. If you are one of the disciples at this point, you're like so happy you chose the winning side. This, everything's going great for you. Spoiler alert, it won't always end up that way. But at this particular part, they're happy. And so they get in the boat. And there's other boats with them, and this huge storm rises up. And they're doing exactly what you and I would do. They are bailing water. That says the waves were coming over the boat. They're bailing water. They're panicking. Everybody's freaking out. And Jesus is sleeping. Jesus is like a 17-year-old male. Can sleep through anything. I don't know if he was tired or whatever, but Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. And they wake Jesus up and they say, essentially, we're going to die. And Jesus kind of like gets up and is like, oh, man, that was good. You know, cracks his back, whatever he does in the morning. And he calms the wind. And this particular story is supposed to show you that Jesus has authority over creation, even over the weather. Story number one. And so this is what happens. They land on on the shore. They go up. A demon-possessed man runs up to Jesus and is saying, hey, trying to give him grief. And Jesus casts the demon out. As a matter of fact, it turns out there were many demons into some swine, into some pigs. And they jump off a cliff or what have you. Um, and, and so speaking of that, uh, the men's breakfast will have plenty of bacon at it. So <laughs> I just wanted to, I knew there was a transition there somewhere. So that story is supposed to show you Jesus' authority over the spiritual realm. So the first one is Jesus' authority over uh, creation. Second one, Jesus' authority over the spiritual realm. And then this uh, synagogue official, high official, actually one of the few people they actually name in the New Testament, uh, Jairus, his daughter is sick and he gets down before Jesus and he says, my daughter is sick, almost to death. Would you please come 
and heal my daughter? And Jesus says yes. And so he's on his way, and this is where we catch Jesus' incarnational ministry, and this is the story I hope you remember all week long into next week. Jesus is on his way to a very, very, very important meeting. Because if you remember, the Pharisees and that particular power struggle that was going on right there were opposed to Jesus. This would be the perfect time to help bridge that gap so that Jesus limits the opposition that he would have for his ministry. This is, this is excellent. This is like somebody, like your competitor at work. Uh, maybe you have another company that you compete against and they say, hey, let's see if we can merge together and, 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 and maybe put, you know, put both of our forces together. And you go, oh, this would be fantastic. And so there's people all around Jesus. It says, so Jesus went with him and we're talking about Jairus. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Now for us, when we read that text, we think, okay, it's a woman. Uh, she suffered with bleeding for many years. We find out it's 12. Uh, in another section of scripture, we find out that she's given up all her money to these doctors. And we also find out that it's been useless. Now, so we read that. And maybe you have somebody in your life that's like that. But I, I can't quite relay to you the context of what was happening here. First of all, it was a woman. Even today, we don't have equality yet, okay? And so imagine 2,000 years ago. It was so bad if you were a woman that you could not testify in court because your testimony was not valid. It had to be the testimony of a man, and so here's this woman who's already a second-class citizen just by being a woman. Secondly, she has a bleeding disorder. I don't want to get into the physiology of it all, but it wasn't her shoulder, okay? And so she's got this disorder which makes her unclean as far as the Old Testament is concerned, which means she cannot be in relationship with anybody, Every place she goes, every place she sits, every place she lies down, if she goes to eat, wherever she goes becomes unclean. So you have a second-class citizen who now can't even enter the synagogue, can't enter the temple, can't touch anyone because she's unclean. And this has been going on for 12 years. Third problem with her. She spent all her money on this disease, which means she's poor, which means now she's a third-class citizen. She's got nothing. She has no importance whatsoever in this society. She is actually an inconvenience to everyone around her. That's this woman. And Jesus is on his way to a high official's house. Very important. Very important for his ministry. Very important for the disciples. Very important for what he's trying to do is in, you know, being the king of Israel and all these types of things as his disciples would want to see it. And here this woman is. When she heard about Jesus, 
She came up behind him. This is, I, I cannot tell you the risk this woman is taking right now. This is a huge, huge risk. She came up behind him uh, in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And she does it. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And you know what Jesus does? In the midst of his busy day, hey, it was a busy day. I mean, like, you wake up in the morning, you calm a storm, cast out some demons, talk to a synagogue official and go to go heal his daughter. I mean, he's a pretty busy dude. He stops. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Because I realize, and I hope you realize, that God did not create you to check off your to-do list. God did not create you to amass a great calling in your profession, although that might be happening and that's great. God did not create you in order to get to the end of your life and go, wow, I was really busy and I got everything done. Praise God. God created you to relate. God created you to relate probably to the people who are around you right now. You might have your arm around the person that God created you to relate to. Some other people from Living Spring might be watching some of the people that God created you and created them to relate to. Jesus stops in the middle of his day and he says, who touched me? And he's surrounded by all these crowds. And of course, the disciples, because they're on top of it, and because they're like, Jesus, you've got a 12 o'clock right now, and we do not have time for this, okay? They, they stop, and they, they essentially say this, who touched you? Um, everyone. <laughs> like, everyone's touching you. How, how, how do you know? And, and, and the Bible says that, it's really cool. I don't know why, but I just find it cool. It says, Jesus felt the power go out of him, which is like, that, I don't know. That's just cool. I, it'd be cool to be Jesus. But uh, like, I don't know if it was like kryptonite. And it's like, whoa, I felt weak, you know. And some, somebody's healed, you know. Leg grows back. And he's like, oh, that's what it was. And he calls the woman out. And here's what she says. I've skipped some verses and paraphrased just a tad. Uh, <laughs> trembling with fear, listen to this, told him the whole truth. Some versions say this, told him her whole story. Have you ever been busy and somebody comes up to you to tell you their whole story? <laughs> and you're like, uh-huh, right, right, I know, when you were five. Okay, got it. It was terrible. Next, go. Teens, hit it. What are you going to do? Like, and they're going on and on, and like, oh, and the car was blue. Irrelevant. You're in a car. Go. You know, come on. Let's go. We got to get moving here. And they go on and they go on and they go on. And here's, if you're anything like me, confessions of a horrible pastor. You weigh their value to what you have to do next. That is what we're trying to avoid in our relationships. You value that person based on 
what your next to-do item is. You were not created for that. I was not created for that. I wasn't created to be that type of a husband. I wasn't created to be that type of a father. I wasn't created to be that type of a pastor. Now, granted, we all have time, a limited amount of time. We all have responsibilities. But I don't see us as a people. I don't see us as Americans, us as Westerners, struggling with, oh, I just spent too much time with people. That's my problem. (laughs) When it is, we'll do a series on that. (laughs) Right now, it's electronics, it's binge-watching Netflix, it's whatever. It's all the things that just fill up our time. Jesus stops. Jesus, who calms the storms, how dare you feel like you have the ability to approach the person who calms storms, who casts out demons, who gets appointments with high officials? How dare you? And Jesus says, no problem. Tell me your story. Because Jesus operates on a different time frame. He operates on, in a different kingdom. He operates with a different perspective. He operates, first and foremost, people are valuable. Especially the people that God has placed around us. And so he listens to her whole story. Now, if I were a disciple, my skin would be crawling right now. I'd be like, man, Jesus, look, it's great. I'll tell you what. You go on to Jairus' place, and I'll listen to her story, okay? Yep, there was a lot of doctors, got it. You spent all everything. Okay, great. Yeah, Jesus is moving on. You know, we'll take it from here. Because the disciples had done that before. They did it with other people of society who had no value. They did it with lepers. The lepers would be yelling things out. The blind men would be yelling things out. And the disciples would go, shh, don't bother the master, And every time Jesus would go, what are you doing? Stop. What's going on? They did it with kids. The kids would come around Jesus. The parents would bring them to be blessed. And they say, get get the kids out of here. And Jesus is like, man, unless you become one of those kids, you have no part of me. This is what I'm here to do. And so she tells him the whole story. Here's the point I want to make. Interruptions just might be invitations. Your interruptions, that phone call, that knock on the door, that if someone comes into your cubicle, you're super busy, I get it, I totally get it. It just might be an invitation that God says, right now, I want you to set aside your agenda, set aside your calling, set aside your importance, and be Jesus. And yes, listen to their whole story. It might be your kids, it might be your spouse, it might be a girlfriend, boyfriend, neighbor, co-worker, family member. It might be that person that every, you know they're going to call you every Thursday in your family and they're going to share the whole thing and you're like, I've heard it a billion times. I know, even when I look down at the number, oh, I, I know what we're talking about. And Jesus says, this is an invitation for you to do incarnational ministry, for you to be present. And not just going, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. I have a friend like that. I start talking, and I start playing with him. I start going, oh, yeah, and, and, you know, and that's when I burn down the building. Uh-huh. I just said I burned down a building. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, burned down a building. Right? You got and he never looks at me. He always looks over my shoulder. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. 
right? I said he was my friend. Actually, I don't even like the guy. But my point is, <laughs> that's what he does. Oh, don't, don't we all do that? When we're busy, when we got stuff in our mind? Jesus stops. He listens to her whole story. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. This is so sweet because when you think about, man, here's this poor woman. She's, she's done something wrong, essentially. For her society, what she did was wrong. As a matter of fact, according to the Old Testament, what she did was wrong. Jesus didn't come. He came to fulfill the law. And so he calls her out in order to declare to all the people around her, she's now clean. She can now touch all of you people and tell you all her story and she can go wherever she wants. She's clean now. And that's what his incarnational ministry does. And so the fourth story is, uh, is the final story. So Jesus has the power to calm the seas. He has the power to cast out demons. He has the power to heal physical ailments. And then while he's talking to this woman... His 12 o'clock gets canceled. They come up and they say, Jesus, or they say to Jairus, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And you can just imagine as a dad what that would feel like to be told that news and to be looking at the woman, the worthless woman in your society that stopped Jesus from getting to your daughter. And Jesus turns to him and says, don't worry about it. I'm on a totally different time frame. Let's go. Just keep believing and he shows up at the house, and there's mourners everywhere. And he says, oh, don't, don't worry. She's just asleep. And they all laugh at him. They don't care. He takes J Peter, James, and John. He brings them in, sends everybody else out. And he says, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl arise. Because Jesus cares about that little girl. And she gets up, and he says some of the sweetest words I just, he says, give her something to eat. And when you read commentaries, sometimes scholars, I love them, uh, but the whole concept that a lot of scholars say, the reason that they had, Jesus had her eat something was to show the people that it wasn't an apparition, that she's not, that she, this actually was a physical person who's now risen from the dead. Well, they would have seen that the next day when she was out playing Frisbee. I mean, I, it doesn't, like, I don't know why you'd have to do that right away. The reason I think, as I look through the totality of Scripture and the totality of Jesus' life, that he said, give her something to eat, was because she was hungry. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a scholar. But that's Jesus to me. It's incarnational ministry. He's around. He's, he knows. Huh, you know what? When I was sick or whatever and I hadn't eaten for a week, I was hungry. Get her something to eat. And he does. These interruptions. Oh, and then he does this. He says, he gave some strict orders not to tell anyone <laughs> about it. Which is weird because when he cast out the demons, he told the guy, go tell everybody. Like, I don't know what he's doing. I trust him though. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians. And this is what I want to send you guys out with. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? This is what it means. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's dwelling place? 
So when it says, going all the way back to John chapter 1, verse 14, that he dwelt among us. He, he set up camp among us. Now, Paul is saying, you are now the representation of incarnational Jesus. So you show up at the place. You pick up the phone. You stop whatever you're doing in order to relate, in order to be present. I don't know what that looks like in your life, even as we've been talking, uh, as Audra comes back up. Um, there might be a relationship you're thinking of, man, I have neglected that relationship. I believe that when that happens, that is the Holy Spirit prompting you to stop what you're doing and to say, okay, I'm going to make a phone call. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be present with that person. For a while in my own life, I noticed I was working quite a bit. Um, and because I, I, I have an office at home and I have an office here and I have an office at Starbucks and I have an office everywhere because I can carry my laptop, I noticed that every time my son would come and talk to me, it was an interruption. Because when you're always working... You're always interrupted. <laughs> and so I started this practice. It didn't matter what he said. If he said, Dad, where's the toilet paper? It didn't matter what he said. I'd close my laptop. I'd close my laptop. And I'd look at him. That was just my thing that God, I felt God calling me to do. Dude, you are too busy with important things. And you're missing your number one job of being present with the relationships that I have placed around you immediately. The reality is this. If you fail at those relationships, why should you have any? If you can't handle the relationships that God has placed right around you, if I can't do that, if I can't manage those, what, what, what am I doing? And so my prayer is this this week as we head off and Audra is going to play a song for us that she wrote this week. By the way, she's going to be uncomfortable about this, I'm sure. But we have a, a Tuesday standing phone meeting. And we used to be Wednesday, and she said, if we make it Tuesday, I can write a song for Sunday. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, no, you can't. That's ridiculous. That's impossible. So we're on the phone on Tuesday. And so I'm telling her about the sermon and what it's going to be. And she goes, here's the song I have. Like she wrote it while we were talking on the phone. <laughs> and she starts singing it and playing it for me. And she goes, oh, that's a work in progress. I'm like, yeah, like seven minutes of progress. Like that's incredible. <laughs> so anyway, that was just, I still can't. I was glad I was present for that conversation because it blew me away. Here's my hope. Uh, what we do during this time is we just leave room for God to speak to us. And so my hope is that God has already been stirring in your heart some relationships that you have. Where you just sense, you know what? If Jesus can stop his busy day, calming winds, casting out demons, and meeting with the president, I can, can, I can cancel some stuff in my busy day in order to be with this relationship that God has called me to be with. And so we take some time during this. And while Audra is uh, singing this song for us, maybe there's some more people that come to your mind. 
Last week, we talked about two to four people that we're going to begin this process of trying to rebuild a relationship or strengthen a relationship or maybe it's become stale and we want it to, to, to move forward a little bit. Maybe this is one of those people and it just means a text or a phone call or an email, Facebook, whatever. We drive over to their house. And so we just sit and we listen to the Holy Spirit. This is also during this time we fill out our connection cards and uh, so much of filling out those connection cards has to do with our ability as leaders to relate to those people who are missing. And so we send out notes, we call people on the phone, I send out texts just to make sure, are you okay? And most of the time people are. They just say, yeah, we were on vacation, thanks for noticing. One family was gone three weeks and they busted my chops because I didn't send them a note, <laughs> doggone it. <laughs> That's the goal, anyway. And so we fill out our connection cards. And then uh, if, this is a, if you give during this time, uh, this is the time we give. And we take all those connection cards and our giving and we put it in the box in the back. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we are so thankful that you were a model of relating to others. Hey, you could stop your busy day you could have every excuse in the world. As a matter of fact, you probably did have every excuse in the world. Lord, the fact that you listened to her whole story and you knew the story already is amazing. So Lord, as we spend some time thinking about those relationships around us, I pray not only would you give us the relationships in our mind that we need to begin to make changes to be more present around, but also, Lord Jesus, that you'd give us the tools, you'd give us the ideas, the creative ways to reach out, or the creative ways to listen as we're approached. Thank you for that. In your name, amen.